Um, I don't know about you guys, um, but we have, we've, we went to a corn maze recently. How many, raise your hand if you've been to a corn maze this year. Just a few of you, okay. Uh, how many of you have been to a pumpkin patch? All right, just a few more. All right, so, so, uh, so something that we've tried to do every year is we try to go to Bob's Corn in Snohomish. And this year, our two older kids that are working there right now, they go to church in the morning at 8 o'clock, and, uh, you know, and then they head off to their... Uh, hayride jobs, or, or uh, they work in Kylie's kitchen making pizzas or something. And they, they have had a good time working at Bob's Corn, but because they work there, we got free tickets and free admission, which was fantastic. And so we, uh, we, we went, and we, we, uh, it happened to be raining. I don't know if you noticed this. It was lovely. It was raining. And so we got this nice family picture. Uh, before, before it was like too wet, um, we did get a nice family picture, so that was delightful. Uh, if I was savvy enough, I would have thrown it up onto the screen, but I'm not very tech savvy, so you'll just have to picture. It was actually all nine of us, if you believe that. You know, it, it is a rumor that I do have seven children, although there's only two here today. Um, I think I told you one time that I had seven kids, and maybe you guys believe me, and I never proved it, so I apologize about that. Um, but, uh, but they were all seven at Bob's Corn, and we did get a picture, and there were pumpkins involved, and uh, it, it, was, it was fun. And then we headed to the maze, and, uh, and then that's where the fun ended a little bit. So, so we went to the maze, and, and like the maze, it's like, it's amazing, right? I mean, there's corn everywhere, and then it had been raining, as I said, and, and there was like, I don't know if you know this, but like, there's ground at the maze, and then that ground turns into mud, and so like there was like a good half inch to an inch of mud uh, throughout the entire maze. And um, the other thing that, you know, I, I do, Bob is a great guy, but he doesn't make those, like, like those paths, like, 100% level. So there was, like, a little bit of, like, uh, you know, some hill, like, some undulating grounds there. And somebody told me, hey, we're going to go kind of Western wear, and uh, this is sort of the theme of the picture. And so I show up with, like, cowboy boots and jeans and, like, a sweater, and, and I'm ready to go. But then it's raining. And um, so getting into the maze with my cowboy boots, it was like on ice. It was like I had no traction. My son, uh, my oldest son that you've never met, I, I think he showed up with vans that had like the super awesome tread on them. And so he was like, no problem. And the funny thing about the deal was that he kept going behind me. He's like, no, go ahead, Dad. This is a, this is a lot of fun to watch. You know, feel free to go first. <laughs> Because I was like, uh, you know, like a giraffe on an ice rink, and my, my legs were just going all over the place. Anyway, we made it to, um, we made it, barely, we made it to like the halfway point, and um, we had ditched the little kids at some point. Um, so it was just sort of the older adults and the, the big kids and all their cousins. There was like 23 of us total with all the family and everything. So they all went running ahead. And then there was like this group of smaller children. Uh, Phineas was the oldest, uh, or no, Fisto was the oldest probably. No? You were the oldest, yes. Phineas was the oldest, and so there was a group of like Finn and under, which, you know, I don't know if this is the wisest parental move ever, but, and so like, you know, Judah and Liberty and Phineas and, and some other uh, cousins were, were hanging out by themselves. They were going to do the maze, but we ditched them and found the way, and we were sitting at the fire, you know, roasting marshmallows and having hot cocoa for quite a while, and then we realized, you know, maybe we should go back and, and get these kids, and so I decide, like, I'm going to go back, and my daughter says, Riley, she's like, let's go, I'll go with you, and so we go, and we do find them, and then we get lost on the way out, um, and so 
uh, it was a thing. But so then my, my older son, uh, my, one of my sons, Kyler, he comes and like rescues us. And so, because he works at Bob's Corn and he actually installed all the signs where all the, you know, so he kind of knows the maze a little bit. So he comes back and he finds us and he walks us all the way through. And, and, and to be honest with you, I was so relieved when he showed up. Because I was thinking, I want more hot cocoa, I want to sit by the warm fire, and I'm not sure I have what it takes to get out of this maze. Uh, because that's not my skill set, more of my wife, she's the uh, one with the internal compass, I'm the one that, you know, is really grateful for Google Maps. So, um, they don't have a Google Maps of Bob's Corn. And so, what I can tell you is that it was really, really handy having somebody that actually has been there and done that and knew the maze, knew the route to go ahead of me. And so when, when Kyler, he, you know, he's bigger, stronger, faster, taller, you know, when, and, and he knows the mate, right? When he shows up, there was like something inside of me that was like, you know, like, oh, so grateful. Somebody knows the way. Somebody has gone before me. Somebody, and yo, yes, he's younger, but he's, he's been there. He's done that. He has experienced from here to there. And, I, and I'm, I'm like not quite ready to do that, right? And so bringing somebody along to you. So we're talking a little bit about discipleship today. And, um, you know, so I, I tell that story, hopefully not just to have, have a little bit of fun, but just to introduce the idea of, of what it's like to have somebody that has gone before you to come alongside and walk with you. Right, that is kind of a picture of discipleship. And so um, hopefully you have your own personal copy of the Holy Scriptures. You can turn into Acts chapter 11. That's where we'll be this morning. Um, I came in and somebody was like, so we're uh, Ken, I think it was Ken. So we're in Acts 11, right? I'm like, yes, yes we are. You are following along. We are, we are going chapter by chapter. And, and, if, and if, uh, if I ever come back, um, and I don't expect another quote, but if I ever, ever come back, we'll just jump into Acts 12 or whatever Pastor Ben wants to do. So I'm happy to, happy to join in with whatever Cedar Home is doing. But it's been really fun to go through the book of Acts together. And so here is where we find ourselves. Like if you were to look at the book of Acts and you were to try to say like, okay, what is the book of Acts all about? You would say like, okay, this is like, this is the launching of the church, right? So Jesus has been with the disciples and he's been eating and drinking and performing miracles and and acts of wonder and, and teaching and sharing parables and, you know, demonstrating what it looks like to really love people, to obey the Father, to, to walk through difficult things and to fulfill the things that he was called to do, which is to die on the cross and then to be risen and then to, to, be a, be, to reveal himself to all of these people. And so these apostles had seen and been with Jesus and had eaten with him and listened to his teaching and listened to the things that he was doing and watched him interact with people, the, and watched him interact with, with women and people that were of a different culture and saw his love and compassion for them like not change based on whoever he was interacting with. He had a heart for all people. And they watched him die and they watched him rise and they watched him ascend into heaven. And, and these words from Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations like is ringing in their ears and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so then we get to the book of Acts and, and the writer of Acts, the author is, is describing what it looks like for the next, le- like the next phase of this advancement of the kingdom of God. And so we have the, these apostles, and we, we find the key verse out of Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we find ourselves continuing to follow the, this, this launch of the early church. 
Um, Saul, who had been causing havoc in the church, has recognized Jesus as Messiah, and he's now preaching the gospel. And as we we talked about last week with uh, Cornelius, we see that the, the gospel is for all. It's for the Gentiles, it's for the Jews, it's for each and every person on earth. The gospel is for everyone. And so the, even the church is recognizing that, that the gospel is for all people. And this is kind of where we find ourselves. And we're going to skip the first part of chapter 11 because it really is a, a replay or a recounting of what happened in chapter 10. And so we'll be picking up the story in verse 19 this morning. So turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now you guys remember, uh, Stephen was, a, uh, w- was somebody that was martyred, right? So Stephen, I think back in Acts chapter 6, he was um, uh, chosen to be a deacon, and, and he had this, uh, this irresistible desire to continue to proclaim the gospel. And uh, the church leaders were not fond of that, and so he was actually martyred. He was killed because he was being a witness. Uh, he was telling people about Jesus. He was telling people that Jesus is Messiah. He was telling people that didn't want to hear that, yes, it was Jesus, the very Jesus that you put on a cross, the very Jesus that you killed. He was actually Messiah. He was the one that the prophets from all old, from the days way back that you've been preaching about and teaching about for so long, he actually is the fulfillment of everything that they've been saying. It's Jesus. And those religious leaders of the day weren't fond of this message because of they were, you know, they were feeling threatened by it. And so they actually are trying to, you know, to put a blanket over the gospel. And so they end up killing Stephen. And what happens as a result of that is, is obviously terrible for, for Stephen. But what happens is that the gospel then begins to spread. And here we have, we find ourselves catching up with some, some people that had gone about 300 miles north of Jerusalem to this place place called Antioch, and they had been sharing the gospel along the way. And so because of the persecution, this, the gospel is being, um, being proclaimed in places that um, would be actually fulfilling Acts chapter 1 verse 8 of like spreading the gospel and being witnesses beyond just Jerusalem. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. All right, so they made it as far as Antioch, and Antioch is, again, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and it was filled with with Gentiles. It was filled with people that were not Jewish. Like these Hellenists were Greek-speaking non-Jews, right? So they are Gentiles, and so so this is a big deal. Like This is like the first recorded mission to the Gentile world. And so they spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And verse 21 is beautiful. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Love that. The hand of the Lord was with them. You know, when the hand of the Lord is with you, you know, nothing can stop you. Um, what, a, what a great testimony to this, the obedience of these, these unnamed heroes of the faith. I mean, whoever these people are who went 300 miles north of Jerusalem, sharing and proclaiming the gospel, getting to Antioch, which was about probably at the time about 500,000 people. Um, uh, It was like one of the bigger cities of the area in that time in the first century. Um, Right now, it's probably closer to 3,500. So it's kind of, you know, shrunken a little bit as far as population. But back then, it was one of the mega cities. 
And so uh, 500,000 people was a big deal. And so this was, a, this was a massive mission. This was people coming into this area. So these are unnamed heroes of the faith that one day we will get to meet and greet in eternity and recognize, wow, you guys were some of the first people that took the gospel to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. Because here in Stanwood, we get to, we get to come and, and worship together, uh, you know, as Gentiles ourselves, some of us, is that we get to be a part of what God is doing across the, across the world. So, so what a blessing it is that these unnamed heroes of the faith brought the gospel to Antioch. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." Beautiful. Love that. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful for the word this morning, the reading of the word. We are grateful for just how you have um, moved in the early church, how you were moving in the first century, how you were uh, just seeing the gospel be proclaimed. Thank you for these men um, and women that went proclaiming the gospel throughout uh, all of this area. And thank you that uh, the city of Antioch was reached uh, with the gospel. Help us to discern uh, things that you have for us this morning. In, in Jesus' name, amen. And so I, I was reading some commentaries on this, and, and, and just this, this last phrase, it was, it was kind of interesting, kind of how you interpret it. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so the idea was like, well, maybe this was the first time that, that they were referred to as Christians or Christ ones or, or followers of Christ. Um, but also somebody was interpreting it as an in, in, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You know, before they were a tradesman, before they were a mother, before they were a father, before they were this, before they were that, they were first called Christians. You know, they identified themselves as believers. They identified themselves as followers of Jesus. Um, no matter how you slice it, I think it's beautiful, right? That, like, this is a group of people that recognized that what defines them is their faith in Christ. This is a group of people here in Antioch, this kind of mega city, where the gospel is beginning to take, you know, the seeds are being sown, it's beginning to take root, there is a movement of God at work, the hand of the Lord is on those that are sharing the gospel, more and more are coming to the Lord, more and more are being added to their number, there's this growing sense of, of a movement of God, and these people are, are identifying themselves as Christians that they are identifying themselves as followers of Jesus, that, that this is becoming a core identity of the, who they are. Like there is disciple-making taking place. When, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, here are some people that are fulfilling that call on their life. They are going and they're making disciples. Like these new believers consider themselves to be Christians. This is a new thing. This is a new movement of God, and the kingdom is advancing, and here we are seeing the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in this town of Antioch. Big deal. Um, so like back in those days, in the first century, discipleship was, was 
kind of an interesting thing. They had the synagogue where they, they would meet and they would gather for um, the holy days as well as the Sabbath and they would gather for teaching. And then, of course, raising uh, children in the home. It was a big deal to kind of share the, the, uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures. By the time you were 13 to 15, you kind of had a pretty decent grasp if you were a young boy or a young girl on the scriptures. If you were a boy and you happened to kind of show a little bit of expertise in the area of knowledge of the scriptures, maybe a rabbi would like notice you and pick you out and like want to apprentice you as a rabbi. And then you kind of became a disciple of that rabbi and you would begin to kind of learn the trade of being a rabbi um, by following along and being a disciple of this teacher or that teacher and you know, whatever rabbi happened to grab you. And, and you know, so you would leave the home at 13 to 15 and you would hop on board the rabbi train and you would be discipled in that way. And if you, hadn't, if you weren't, you know, if you were a, a young girl or a boy that was not necessarily showing an aptitude for the law or for um, you know, these, these spiritual practices that, that the rabbis were noticing, then you would, you would find yourself kind of getting to be an apprentice of you know, somebody that's a craftsman or, or a blacksmith or a stoneworker or a woodworker. And so you would, you would find yourself finding another different trade, maybe pottery or, or weaving, or if you were a, a young girl, you would probably, your opportunities were learning textiles or cooking and cleaning, farming, weaving, kind of things that you would help to, to grow, you know, a household with. Um, and so this, would, this was kind of like a discipleship program or a discipleship kind of uh, level of like what was happening to, with young boys and young girls as they kind of grow up and leave the home and prepare to, to, to be able to provide for a family of their own. Um, so this apprenticeship was kind of, was kind of the model. Um, but what, what we see here in um, the New Testament, in the book of Acts specifically, as we're seeing Saul and Barnabas showing up to a particular area in town and begin to teach for an entire year, and what we're, what we're, what we're seeing happen in the community, and what we then see through the future letters of Paul writing to different, uh, different people in the church, what we see is a, a little bit of a different type of mentality for discipleship. The, uh, the early church was determined to do this a little bit differently, and, and what Jesus was setting up was, was completely different. Uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. So Ephesians chapter 4 kind of talks a lot about the unity of the church and, and what is happening in the church and what, what Paul, the Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the church in Ephesus about and that we have here in, in our own New Testament here is, is, you know, some words of wisdom for the church. And so uh, look to verse 11. And this is what Paul is writing about the church and he, Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
And so, you know, we have this idea that, that Paul is writing and says that Jesus is giving to the church men and women that are apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers, people that fulfill offices in the church that, that are then going to be able to equip the saints of the church. Raise your hand if you're a saint of the church. All right, you may not feel like a saint this morning. Maybe you, maybe you kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you were a little grumpy pants this morning. You don't have to raise your hand if that was you. But if you are a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint in the church. So raise your hand if you're a saint in the church. All right, excellent. Even if you were a little grumpy this morning, you're still a saint. All right, praise God. Um, but, you know, so there are people in the church that are, that are apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors that are designed to, to like equip the saints, to equip you. And what are the saints to do? What's, what, are, what are the saints supposed to be doing? What is it? Work of the, like the ministry, yeah, the work of the ministry, right? So the saints are to do the work of the ministry. And so sometimes we think as a church, like especially in the American church, no, that's what we hired the pastors to do. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that there, are, that there are apostles and evangelists and prophets and teachers and shepherds to equip who? The saints. And who's it? Raise your hand if you're a saint. All right, so who should be doing the work of the ministry? Everybody, Everybody right? Raise your hand. Everybody's to be doing the work of the ministry. And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples, who is supposed to be going to make disciples? Raise your hand. Yeah, everybody, raise your hand. Yes, very good. You're getting tired. All right. All right, I got it. We're all to be doing the work of the ministry, right? And so some are, are like, there are gifts given to the church. Offices, people that are fulfilling things like being an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a teacher, a shepherd. These are, these are positions and people that, that Jesus will gift to a church so that they can equip everyone in the church to go and do the work of the ministry, and so here we go. This is an example. Antioch, there's a movement of God at work. The hand of the Lord is with the people that have gone 300 miles north because of the persecution. They're in Antioch. They are proclaiming the gospel to Hellenists of all people, non-Jews. I can't believe it. It's the Gentiles, and they are being reached. They are proclaiming the gospel. They are sharing these things, and the hand of the Lord is on them. And it is beautiful because more and more people are coming to the Lord. And the word gets out. Like, I don't know how. They had no email. I don't even know. Like, they couldn't text. How could they possibly communicate to the church in Jerusalem? I have no idea. I have no idea. There, there was not Instagram. There was none of the Snap, Jerusalem, or whatever. Like, it didn't exist. Somehow, the word goes south 300 miles. Hey, the word on the street is that there is a work of God in Antioch. And they're like, okay, what are we going to do? We are going to send Barnabas. We love Barnabas. He's such an encourager. He's, he is so good. He can, he can go. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch. And Barnabas shows up and he's like, wow, there is a, look at the grace of God and see how it is at work. This is amazing. And he starts to teach. And more and more people are coming to the Lord. And it is like a movement of God that is, that is like maybe even beyond Barnabas. And he's like, I got to get some backup. Remember, remember Paul? He's hanging out in, uh, where is he hanging out? Tarsus. He's hanging out in Tarsus. Uh, check your notes. He's hanging out in Tarsus, right? So, so there's Paul in Tarsus. Like, let's grab Paul and let's bring him to Antioch. And so now they've got two teachers, two shepherds, two evangelists. It's exciting. God is at work. It's moving. And so Paul and Barnabas, and they, they start teaching for a year. 
And that's what they're doing. They're teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. And do you, what, what are they doing? They're equipping the saints. And who are the saints? Raise your hand. You're a saint. Yeah, they're equipping the saints. And so the saints in Antioch are being equipped to do what? The work of the ministry. That's right, the work of the ministry. So they're being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And so what is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is like discipling all the people. So they are fulfilling the words of Jesus, which is to go and make disciples. And so that's what's happening in Antioch. And so these people, so Paul and Barnabas are in. They're like the hired guns to come in and teach. But you know what is really happening? The work of the Lord is happening amongst the saints that are doing the work of the ministry. And they are proclaiming the gospel to other people. And this movement, more and more and more people are being added to the number of the Lord. And this is God's work in, in doing it the way that he wants it done. And it's beautiful. It is really wonderful. So this is, a, this is just a picture, I think, of discipleship done differently. It's a picture of discipleship done like there aren't just specific teachers that are going to do all of the work of the ministry. But no, the saints, the people of the church, they are the ones that are to do the work of the ministry. And so we are seeing Jesus' call to go and make disciples. That includes everyone, the whole church. I love that. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. I'm going to try something a little, a little bit risky. I, um, I want, if you have been married for, if you're a couple here and you've been married for over uh, 35 years, could you stand up? All right. Well, there's a lot. Fantastic. If you're a couple here and you've been married for over 45 years, remain standing. All right, if you have been married for longer than 50 years, remain standing. If you are a couple here, you've been married longer than 55 years, remain standing. This is getting tough. Can we go for 58 years? 60 years? 58 tomorrow. 58 tomorrow. All right, excellent. Praise the Lord. And you guys, how long have you guys been married? 60 years. That is awesome. That, that is incredible. And it looks like you guys, I mean, you're young enough to do another 60, so that's pretty fantastic. So, so now, now, now uh, stand up if you're a couple here and you've been married less than five years. Anybody, so I'm trying to find the most recent marriage. All right, if you, uh, less than 10 years. Who, stand up if you've been married less than 10 years. Oh, oh back here. Oh, yes. All right. Hey, give them the hand. All right. So we have, I don't know if you, I mean, I, I consider myself still a newly, newlywed. So 24 years later. Uh, but, you know, so we have some newlyweds here. And so look around the church, right? We have people that are recently married, and we have people that have been married for 60 years, 50 plus, 40. There was a lot that have been married over 35 years. What a wealth of, of, uh, of experience um, that exists in this church body. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord. That is so fantastic. And so maybe sometimes you're like, you're married like it's seven years in. I remember when we were married for seven years or so, I felt like we were in the middle of a maze. And we needed somebody to come and rescue us. And it was, uh, it was a rough patch. And uh, I mean, we were slipping and sliding. There was muck and mire and all sorts of things that was like not pretty. Things that you don't like to preach about on a Sunday morning. And yet, 
you know, and yet in the midst of it, God held us through that and brought people alongside of us that had been to the other side of the maze already and had been and seen things and been there and done that in ways. So flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me and you're going to see what else it is that we are called to do when it comes to disciple making. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So verse 2 specifically says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who not only are they going to hear it and walk it out, but then they're going to teach it to other people. So there's this picture of like receiving truth and then passing that truth on. It's like you have been in the maze and you have been through different different difficulties and you have seen the dead ends and you've seen the right path to go and and then you you have that knowledge and then you you share that with someone else behind you. And so this image of of being like, or even like being on a river, um, you know, maybe, you know, if you've, if you've ever been on a river on a kayak or something along, like a canoe or, or a, I don't know, like an inflatable swan or something, and, and you are on the river, like, it's nice to know, like, what is ahead of you. Um, it would be nice to know, like, a, a river report, like even a river guide um, that would be able to tell you, you know, there's a, there's a bend up ahead, and you're going to want to invo- avoid that large rock because right behind that rock, there's this huge gully, and it will suck your little uh, inflatable unicorn right to the bottom of that river. It's not going to go well for you if, you if you hit that. So you're going to want to like swing to this side of the current or, or swing over here. So somebody that has gone before you after 60 years of marriage, they might have something to share with somebody who's like only five or six years into their marriage, and they're thinking, man, how do we stay married for another year, much less, you know, 59 more, right? Um, so, so having people that have been there and have experienced life and have experienced the joy and some of the sorrow of life, it is really nice to have them be able to look back and say, let me show you some of the ways. And you know, the river is going to be always a little bit different, but sometimes there's, there's some familiar things that we can share with people that are coming behind us that it would be really, really helpful for those that are behind us. And so everyone you know, should be able to look ahead of them and say, you know what, this is somebody that can help show me the way. And then look behind them and say, like, there's some people that I can disciple. And so the, the picture that I want to give you this morning is that each of us really should have somebody in our life that we're looking to as a mentor or somebody that, as, that is going to be discipling them. And then, you know, and then like, who are they? Who, who are you discipling, right? And so each one of us should be able to look to see and say, hey, I want to learn from someone and then I want to be teaching and discipling someone. And that is the picture that we find um, of discipleship in the scriptures, in the New Testament, that, that hopefully all of these things would be being taught at home, but also that we would find ourselves connected to somebody that has, that has a little insight into the maze. And then that we can share a little insight into the maze that we have with someone else. And so this is the beautiful picture of discipleship that uh, I think is happening here in the church in Antioch. You know, they had the privilege of sitting under the teaching of Barnabas and Paul for a a year, and and a great many were added to the Lord. And then Paul and Barnabas leave. They go, and that's what we're going to find in this next portion of Scripture is that Paul and Barnabas take off. 
And so the beauty of what happens in Antioch, that it's not dependent upon just the Pauls and the Barnabases, but all of the saints. Who are the saints? And what are they doing? The work of the ministry? That, it, that just because Paul and Barnabas leave doesn't mean that the work of ministry stops. Like the saints are still there in Antioch and they're still discipling other people. They're still proclaiming the gospel. They are still going and making disciples. They're looking ahead, seeing who can they follow, who can they, you know, be discipled by. And then they're looking behind, saying like, who can we drag along with us through this thing called life? And we're going to help them out when they get stuck in the mud. Let's look at verse 27 of Acts chapter 11. So flip back to Acts. Oh, it would have been good if I left my bookmark in there. All right. So verse 27. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so, if, what, I mean, we can read into this a little bit and realize, like, if they were willing to send Barnabas and Paul, or Saul, rather, like, clearly, they were comfortable still doing the work of the ministry without these two people, Right? And, and it's a beautiful picture. I, I love the demonstration of generosity amongst the people of God. Like if, if God is at work, you know that the people of, the, of that community, you know that God is at work in their life when that community is demonstrating generosity. I mean, it is, that is like a sure sign of God's movement. Generosity is, is certainly a hallmark, one of the hallmarks of, of a kingdom-oriented community. And so not only did they send their relief, but they also sent Barnabas and Saul and, and yet we know that the discipleship continued, that those who had learned from others were going to pass that information on to those coming behind them. Uh, you know, there's a number of people that have had significant impact on my life. Um, I think of Steve Mitchell's that, that taught me about servant-hearted leadership. I remember being um, on staff at a church, and, and, and Pastor Steve was there and uh, so, you know, he was an older pastor in the church, and, and we get back from a youth event, and and believe it or not, some of these wonderful junior high students had stuck gum underneath the seats of the bus. And so, you know, so Steve and I, we get on, we get on the bus and he's like, hey, Chris, we got, you're not done yet. I know you're tired. I know it's been a nice three-day weekend. I know that, you know, you, you were teaching and preaching and it was really good. But you know what? Now we got to get on the bus. And we get on the bus and we start sweeping out the bus. And we're looking under the seats and we're scraping off the gum. And, uh, and, and Steve, you know, he looks at me and he's like, no one's going to see this. No one knows that you're doing this. I shouldn't be telling all of you. You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm robbing, robbing whatever happened. You know, but but Steve looks at me and he says, you know, this is going into your Jesus account. No one sees this. It's just it's just what he called the Jesus account. I don't think that was biblically accurate, but that's you know, right? That's what he called it. And, you know, it's just this idea of servant leadership. Like you're not done. The retreat's not over. You still have to clean up and scrape all that stuff off. Um, and that, you know, that was one of the things that really stuck in my mind. Aaron Day, he taught me a lot about what it meant to walk with Jesus in humility and in recognizing that as a sinner, we need a savior. Uh, John Sween, my father-in-law, taught me what consistent repentance looks like and a, just a commitment to seeking fresh experiences with Jesus regularly. Um, my mom taught me that the power of consistent scripture-filled prayer was important. 
I mean, as a kid, she would pray for me that every time I did something wrong, I would get caught, and she was good at prayer. <laughs> I think mom's watching, so thanks, mom. Appreciate it. Um, the, so, you know, the question I want to leave you with this morning is just, who is ahead of you? Who is behind you? We're all in this maze. Sometimes it's muddy. Sometimes it's dry. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes there's a dead end. We're all in that maze. And then some people have gone before us, and, and we should exhibit the humility to say, hey, can you help me? You know, here I am in my life. You know, would you, would you come alongside me and, and help me? And then, like, who's behind you? Who, who can you come alongside and say, I know I don't have my stuff 100% together. I'm really far from that, but I am seeking the Lord. Would you come with me? Let's seek the Lord together. You know, and what a great opportunity to, to gather with a women's group or a men's group and, and, and find that discipleship. Find, find that in these opportunities that you have here at the church. Uh, but come alongside me. So ask, I want you, would you this week answer those questions? Who is ahead of you and who is behind you? And are you willing to be discipled and are you willing to disciple someone? I mean, the word is very clear from Jesus. Go and make disciples. And that is the job of the saints. And who are the saints? All right, we got it. Right? You guys are the saints. Would you consider this week connecting with somebody who is discipling you and who you would like to reach out to to disciple? Maybe they're not yet a believer or maybe they are a believer who is ready for that next level of growth. Um, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to invite my wife. She's going to come up and, and share a blessing for you. And, um, but uh, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, you are so good, so kind, so patient. Lord, I do trust and believe and pray that it would be so that the hand of the Lord would be on Cedar Home and that more and more would be added to their number, added to your number as a result of the ministry that you're doing here in this church and in this place. Lord, thank you for bringing men and women who have been equipped by you, gifted by you, to teach and to encourage and to challenge and to disciple others. May we as the saints of the church do the work that you have called all of us to do to advance the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is my bride, Carissa. He's great at winging it, but I'm not. But I did ask if I could write a prayer of blessing and share that with you this morning. So since I'm, I hopefully will be here again, and it's been a joy to share life with you a lot of Sundays. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you are doing a new thing here at Cedar Home. Thank you for every step that you have unfolded on behalf of your precious people here. Each and every person in this room bears the mark of their maker. Thank you for what a beautiful reality that is, for all the ways your image and your creativity are reflected in this body. Your word says that Christ in us is the hope of glory, and I pray this morning that Christ in every person here at Cedar Home would be a living, walking beacon of hope to the family of God, but also to the wider community of Stanwood. 
God, would you anoint each person here with the power of your spirit and give them the faith and courage to walk in agreement with your truth and to live held by your unconditional love. May you bless and protect Pastor Ben and his family as they journey westward in obedience to your calling on their life. Fortify them in supernatural ways for all that is ahead. It is a profound privilege for all of us to walk as lantern bearers in a time that feels full of darkness. Thank you, Lord, that we can agree with David in proclaiming, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. In Isaiah 54, your word reminds us that though the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, your steadfast love shall not depart from us and your covenant of peace shall not be removed. Father, let us all live in the comfort and compassion of these words. Firmly plant the hearts and minds of your people at Cedar Home in your steadfast, unfailing love. And may your covenant of peace be a banner over this body in this new season. We ask all of this in the mighty name of our friend Jesus. Amen.